for the invitation. Thank you for having me. Uh, for those of you uh, who are with us in the Sunday School Hour, you will already know a little bit of what uh, I do, uh, and uh, I want to thank you in person. I want to be accountable to you in person as one of the ministries that you support, so uh, I'm glad to be here today. Uh, some of you will know that it's been a, a long journey in getting me here today, um, and uh, I don't really need to go into the detail of that, except I will blame immigration for the reason for my length of journey, because I had to return to Arkansas on Friday uh, to take part in the oath-taking ceremony, as I am now a new citizen of the United States. So I rejoice in that, and I rejoice with you in that. And now I ask that you pray for me, because I am responsible for electing a president. <laughs> so um, yes, we all need our, our prayers for our government and uh, for all our elected officials. Uh, but I now have a vote. That's one of the rights and responsibilities of a new citizen. But the greatest responsibility that we have is to live before our God and uh, to learn how we may do that. And part of that process is obviously to come under the means of grace and so I ask you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And uh, while you're turning to that, uh, again, I'll just wave uh, some of our literature. Um, our missionary magazine for the worldwide aspect of our work is, is there. Please do take the uh, Herald magazine. And our uh, voices from the past, four different uh, good men of old. Uh, and as I said in the Sunday School Hour as well, uh, one new one is uh, our Dutch contribution now. We've had Scottish contribution. We've had English Baptists. Now we have Dutch Wilhelmus Abrakel. If you haven't uh, got that one from last year, please do pick that one up. Those are freebies. Please do uh, avail yourself of those uh, freebies, voices from the past. It is part of my work and my desire to, 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 to tackle the, the theological confusion that we have uh, in the U.S. pertaining to the whole subject of Israel and Jewish mission. And part of my, um, my burden in that is really to preach and teach and to assist you, the church, to grow in these things, to grow into a better understanding of what our calling is pertaining to our Jewish neighbors. And also then, as you will see from our literature, what we do frontline in interacting with uh, the Jewish community, both around the world and, and here in the United States. And again, as I've already uh, commented, I'm delighted to help, uh, help you uh, as you engage with the Jewish community here. And uh, if I can enter into even any email correspondence, I'm already planning to do so, um, with some of you who have Jewish friends or Jewish workmates or bosses or whatever, uh, and you'd like to begin a conversation or you'd like help and resources, um, that also is part of the ministry of CWI. So uh, again, thank you for the opportunity of being able to do that uh, and help you uh, in your own Christian witness to Israel. So let's read together in Galatians 2 uh, from verse 15. Galatians 2 and verse 15. Let us hear the word of God. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. 
because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died to no purpose, for no purpose. Amen. May the Lord bless to us the reading of His Word. Uh, some of you, uh, any of you who, who know me, um, or maybe even have simply stood beside me, will know that I love music. I love to sing. Um, I have a daughter also that loves music. Uh, she is down in the Laurel congregation, and she is studying masters in opera. And uh, in fact, she uh, recently did a, a concert there at the church in Laurel, Maryland. And uh, she's been really taken in and come under the wing of Skip and Bonnie there. I really appreciate what they're doing for my daughter. Uh, so we love music. We're a family who loves music. What you may not know, and, and uh, from this I, I may not get another invitation back here, but um, I, I like all kinds of music. So uh, you can mention pop music or rock music. If it's musical, if it has um, some measure of um, musicality, um, I studied music at a certain level uh, in, a, in a former life. So I've admired the music of Freddie Mercury and Queen. Okay, now can I continue? Um, <laughs> the vocal harmonies, the crossover of rock opera, the, just the music. Now, again, I need to say very quickly, the lyrics, tragic, empty. And like many other rock stars, um, honest, but yes, empty. And I, I'm tempted to think that Freddie knew right from wrong and chose the wrong. One of the songs, again, if you are uh, adept at knowing the uh, various albums of Queen, uh, you may know the song, The Show Must Go On. It was written when Freddie Mercury was dying of AIDS. And it could almost be the song of the ages. It could be the song of all mankind. It could be the song of a determination, the show must go on, the determination to live a fallen life in a fallen world, but with a pretense that all is well and the show must go on. I'm not going to go through all the lyrics of the song, but it begins, empty spaces, what are we living for? Abandoned places, I guess we know the score. On and on, does anybody know what we are looking for? Well, there's honesty from a man dying of AIDS. 
And again, in a sermon, I don't often quote Wikipedia, but if I can quote Wikipedia, the lyrics are full of allusions, metaphors, and other figures of speech, making it somewhat difficult to understand. I think, actually, it's easy to understand. Thinly disguised tragedy ahead is announced. Of course, he's dying. In the end, the text refers to the determination, the furious desire to live, quote, I have to find the will to carry on with the show. In spite of vanishing strength, quote, Inside my heart is breaking, my makeup may be flaking. Again, honesty. Um, from the point of music, again, Wikipedia says from this perspective of harmony, the song begins in B minor, then there is a modulation to C sharp minor, as if the song implied a hope, but eventually it falls back to B minor. Even in that, and again, those of you who, who have studied some music will, will understand even the, um, um, just what that means, music, musically speaking. But it's, it's the human condition, isn't it? It's fallen, striving, but still fallen. The Christian gospel has the solution, not only to the fall, but even to the question that Freddie Mercury posed, what are we living for? And the answer concerns faith in a Jewish Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. People everywhere, and, and in particular people pertaining to our ministry, that is the Jewish people, they are asking the question, if they're honest, what are we living for? And we might be so bold as to suggest um, that we've got the answer. Now, that doesn't mean that we go around just hitting people all over the head and saying, we've got it, we've got the answer, why can't you see it? But it does mean that we must have a confidence that we do have the answer. And when people around, and, and Jewish people, are going about their business with, uh, as we said earlier, life, liberty, and the pursuit of Jewishness, and they're going along with a show-must-go-on mentality, we in the church, we, the mission of the local church and the mission of CWI is to break into the fallenness, to break into man's B minor and lift him not to C sharp minor, but to C major, Christ major. And that's really where I want to bring us in the text today. Because Galatians 2, 15 to 21 points out in no uncertain terms man's condition before God and how he obtains justification or how he is made right with God so that he lives before God, not with a show, not with a pantomime, not with flaking makeup, but lives to his maker's glory. This is what life is living for, as the apostle makes it very clear. So I have three points I want to bring to you as quickly as we can proceed through. First of all, I want us to look at the mistake of man. It's all about works. Then I want to look at the truth from the Lord. It's all about faith. And then thirdly, which really is an extension of the second, but the third is the faith which works. It's all about Christ. So, okay, first, the mistake of man, the truth from the Lord, and the faith which works. 
The mistake of man is that it's all about works. Paul writes in verses 15 and 16, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Paul is doing something that's not very PC. He's saying that we're Jewish um, and we know something. And we know something uh, that's more than those Gentile people know. Those goyim, unclean, Gentile sinners, they are unenlightened, but we Jewish people, we know something. A person is not justified by works of the law. Well, that's pretty stunning there from the apostle. Let, let's pause on that for a moment. If you ask anyone on the street of Concord, if you ask anyone in the street of Northwest Arkansas, if you ask anyone in the street of Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh, how they shall find peace with God, how they shall enter His heaven, what are their grounds for acceptance before their Maker? What will be the answer? We know what will be the answer. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm, I'm not perfect, but I, I, I'm pretty good. My, my good will outweigh my bad. And indeed, for the Jewish person, the Jewish person uh, on the Day of Atonement um, is hopeful that his good will outweigh his bad. Because if his good outweighs his bad, in modern rabbinic thought, that will mean that his name will be in the book of life. And, and Jewish understanding of sin is of a little angel on the shoulder and a little demon on the shoulder it is a yetzah hatov and a yetzah hara. It is a good inclination and an evil inclination. And if you just listen to the little angel a bit more than the, the, the little devil, then you've got the balance right and, and you're okay. That's standard rabbinic understanding. That's standard Jewish understanding. And indeed, that's standard everyone understanding. But the apostle Paul, the Jewish guy... He says, we know, and we're Jewish, we should know. We have known the revelation of the true and living God. That has been our experience for thousands of years, he's saying. The Goyim, they haven't got that. When the apostle was writing this, or when even the Old Testament Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures were being written, when the revelation of God was coming to this little obscure nation, my Scots-Irish ancestors were dancing around stone in the highlands of Scotland, or the Highlands of Scotland, as they might say. My Scots ancestors were doing all kinds of stuff that was idolatry, but they knew the Jewish people knew because God had revealed to them. And the apostle says, we know, we know this. We know this. It's not of works. And so again, as I, I showed in the uh, Sunday school class, when our Jewish believing missionary, my colleague, goes to the streets of Squirrel Hill, Pittsburgh every Thursday, he interacts with people. What brings peace? He puts up the shalom board. And he asks them one question, what is it that brings peace? And they've got all kinds of answers. In fact, one person, when I was there, uh, had, had filled in and put it up. Uh, and his answer to what brings peace was a working government. <laughs> a 
I don't want to go political on him. But anyway, he, uh, we engaged in conversation. A lot of people have different answers as to what is the solution? What brings peace? And indeed, with, without over-spiritualizing it, my brother, my buddy, um, he, he takes all those post-it notes, and he will look at them, and, and he will pray over those that had placed their hopes in something. What brings peace? We are around the high holy days in the Jewish calendar, and they've had, uh, you know, there's the Yom Kippur, there's the, the Day of Atonement, there's the Ten Days of Awe, there's uh, all the manner of, of doing your good deeds in the build-up to the big day. It's kind of like a, a, a Jewish Lent, the Ten Days of Awe, the, the Day of Atonement. But no matter how many mitzvot are done, no matter how many good deeds are done, the apostle says, we who are Jews by birth know it's not of works. Freddie Mercury will sing, what are we living for? The rabbis will often respond, tikkun olam. What does that mean? Well, tikkun olam is kind of their, their motto for life. It, is, it means repairing the cosmos or repairing the world, tikkun olam. And so you will find a lot of Jewish people will uh, engage in philanthropy uh, and, and very praiseworthy deeds and give to praiseworthy things because they believe in tikkun olam. They believe in doing good things that will repair the world. That's their way. That's their life. That's the show. Well, it's not simply a show. You know what I mean by that. It's, it's not duplicitous. But Freddie Mercury will sing, inside my heart is breaking, my makeup may be flaking, but my smile still stays on. Man's mistake, covered up by the pantomime pretense, the show goes on. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to the rabbis. Sometimes the pop stars are more honest. I'll top the bill. I'll overkill. I have to find the will to carry on with the show. So sang Freddie when dying of AIDS. The mistake of man is it's all about works. Well, what about the truth from the Lord? It's all about faith. Verse 16, second part of verse 16, person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. The truth from the Lord, it's all about faith. But here we need to qualify and, and, and clarify that because there's a lot of people talk about faith these days. And the politicians will talk about people of faith. But what are we talking about here? Faith must have an object. Otherwise, it's faith in my faith. And of course, there are those in churches that will present uh, Christianity as something that you've got to think very positively about. And you just have to have faith, and, and God will heal you. Or you just have to have faith, and God will get you that new Ferrari. You just have to think about it much more positively, and you just have to have the power of positive thinking. And that's simply faith in my faith. Faith in my own, uh, building up my own faith. That's not what the apostle is talking about, of course. 
Faith has to have an object. Well, what is faith's object? There's the old illustration of uh, the guy who walked across Niagara Falls. I, I was driving past Niagara just yesterday. I would have loved to have stopped by, but I wouldn't have got to my hotel to the, well, probably till the morning. And uh, I would have loved to have stopped by. I didn't. It's been a little while since I've been in Niagara. But I remember hearing the story of the guy who walked across Niagara Falls, walked on, on the tightrope across Niagara Falls, and he pushed a wheelbarrow all the way across the tightrope, pushing a wheelbarrow. And when he got to the end and what got to the other side, he was met with rapturous applause. And, and he asked the people at the other side, do you believe that I can do that again? And they said, oh, yeah, we, we believe you can do that again. We've just seen you do this. We've just seen you walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope with a wheelbarrow, and we believe you can do it again. And he said, okay, who's going to get in the wheelbarrow? <laughs> Faith is not just believing, yeah, Jesus yeah, he's the, he's, the, he's the Christ. He's... Faith is faith into. Faith is getting into the wheelbarrow. If faith has an object, and, and even in the original Greek, uh, the, the Greek word in has a sense of into, as, as we would know. Faith is into Christ. The old Scots Presbyterian uh, John Duncan uh, counters the faith in my faith uh, mentality. And he says, is faith a person? Was faith crucified for you? No, faith has an object. It is getting into the wheelbarrow of Jesus Christ. It is putting your all in his hands for him to carry you. Now, verses 18 and 19 are, are, are a little difficult to interpret, as the commentators might say, but it's it's simply, if I, if I can simplify it, it's simply in saying, I died to the law. It's, it's paralleling with Colossians where Christ nailed it to the cross. He literally nailed the law's demands for us. So his death is our death. His crucifixion is our crucifixion. So what, what I mean by that and what the apostle is saying that in, in this is that faith has an object and it's not a vain faith in my faith. It's not a vain hopefulness, but it's a faith in a historical act by a historical second Adam. It is a death of death in the death of Jesus Christ. It is the death of deeds by the one great deed. As we would sing, tis done, the great transactions done. We need to recognize that this faith is not just faith in a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's not just faith in a decision that I have made. But it's faith in the Christ of God, in all that He has done. And here, by way of in passing, I want to make some comment with regard to some preaching with regard to Christ. I have to say that some presentation of Jesus is, is superficial, even carnal, and we have Jesus kind of as the little pick-me-up hill. Oh, you're, you're feeling blue today? Well, just get a little bit of Jesus in your life. Or uh, Jesus, well, you're having trouble in your life? Jesus is a good life buddy. Um, he, he's, a, he's a good life coach. Or he's your personal genie of the Lamb. You just summon him up when you, when you need him. What idolatrous drivel is being presented from so many pulpits. 
We need a substantial Christ to save me. We need the substance of the Christ, the Son of God, to save me. Let's not have this superficial, this shallow Christ. And I might even say some of the books that we read or some of the books that we see sold are, are, are these little tiny slim volumes of seven ways to have a better this and ten ways to have a better that. The old writers would write these tomes, not just to give us fat heads, but they would write these tomes on the doctrine of God and the doctrine of Christ. And they would elaborate from the Scriptures the wonder of who Jesus is and what He is for me. Calvin rightly points out, let those who would discharge or write the ministry of the gospel learn to penetrate into the consciences of men, to make them see Christ crucified and feel the shedding of His blood. When the church has painters such as these, she no longer needs the dead images of wood and stone. I like that last bit when he's challenging Romanism. When the church has when we can paint Christ before you, my friends. Oh, that I could paint Him better. If we could paint the wonder of who He is, the glory of Jesus, the Messiah of Israel. Why are our Jewish friends not flocking to this Jesus? They don't know who He is. They're being told what He is from the rabbis. We need to present another Christ, another Jesus. Our faith has an object. Not a wooden crucifix, but a willing crucified one. And, and again, we, we should pause over all of these things. We should think and worship over all of these things. What was it for the maker of the cosmos to be made flesh? And, and without being too carnal, what was it for the Son of God to be born to come into being by the birth canal to, to hunger and thirst to be tired, even, and I, I don't know if you've ever preached on it, my brother, I don't think I've ever preached on it, but that, that verse where we read, he learned obedience. What was it for Jesus to do this? But then also, why was it? And again, this is where the doctrine of Christ, and, and read more, more substantial volumes, please, that we will get an understanding of who he is. Not only what was it, but why was it? Why did He do that? He did it for you. Your faith has an object. Not, not to just uh, have faith in my warm, fuzzy feelings or a decision I made 20 years ago. My faith has an object on a substantial Jesus the Messiah. And so with the psalmist, we would want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. Or we would read in the Scriptures, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. What joy? Us! Us! I cannot tell why He whom angels worship should set His love upon the sons of men. I cannot tell how silently He suffered as with His peace He graced this place of tears. I can't tell. I don't understand. I don't know why. For me... When this passing world is done, when has sunk yon glaring sun? 
when we stand with Christ in glory, looking o'er life's finished story, then, Lord, shall I fully know. And not till then how much I owe. Let's gaze upon the beauty of this glorious Lord. And let's, let's tell, if, if we love Christ, if we are enthralled by Him, then let's tell a lost world. And if we are enthralled by this Jewish Messiah, why are our Jewish friends not hearing about Him? This is the object of our faith. To be cursed, to be spat upon, to have blood flow from His head and hands, feet, side, to have His Father's face turn away. For me, for me, or think in the upper room, and we're coming to the upper room at the closing of the service. Think of the upper room. How he washed his disciples' feet, showing his love for them. And he knew they were going to run away. And think of what he prayed for them in the upper room. Father, I'm praying for them. Not praying for the world. No, no. Praying for them. I'm coming home. And they're going to be here. So I'm praying for them because I you to keep them because I want them to be with, where, with me where I am. Do you realize the Son of God who was going to His death was praying so that you might be lifted from this life and taken to be where He is? This is the object of our faith. This is the gospel of God. Oh, that I could paint it better. This is the truth from the Lord that we would bring to our Jewish brethren and friends and Gentile brethren and friends. Faith has an object, but then also I want you to notice from these verses, faith has a vitality. Verse 20, if I can just press this one further. Faith has a vitality. Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There's a vitality to it. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The little mnemonic for faith is F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I take him. As we shun self-reliance, works, with empty hands, we turn and get in the wheelbarrow, and we trust his work for me. And we apprehend this truth. And we, by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes this truth and applies it to us. And so we are in Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live. There is a vitalizing aspect of it. There is a vivifying aspect of it. This is amazing love that thou mightst, my God, shouldst die for me. This is an enthralling love. This is a binding love. This is a covenantal love. The life I now live in the flesh. Well, what else life do you live? The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. Faith's vitality is this constraining and compelling love of Christ. I am His. He is mine. 
He is my husband. He is my friend. He is my shield. He is my tower. He is my elder brother. And so on and so on. The mistake of man is it's all about works. The truth from the Lord is it's all about faith, but faith in an object. Faith has an object, and faith has a vitality. And we put our faith in Christ as our sacrifice. We were saying earlier with our Jewish friends, our Jewish ministry, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. So my Jewish friend, where, do you, where, where have you got it? But we have the Messiah crucified. But not only crucified, is raised, and he has taken captivity captive. And so there's the death of death, and he is crucified, raised, and ascended. And indeed, I hope you preach on the ascension, brother, but I think it's one of the forgotten doctrines. The ascension of Christ. And then all the, the, the old Purans would also have written of the session of Christ. In other words, crucified, dead, raised, ascended, seated. What's he doing? Seated. Well, he's praying for you. He's praying for me. This is a, this is a vivifying nature to our faith when we realize that. The life I now live, I live in Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. The mistake of man, truth from the Lord. Thirdly, finally, the faith which works. The faith which works, and really it is an extension of my second point. The faith which works is simply it's all about Christ, your life, your, your breathing. My 16 and a half hour car journey yesterday it was all about Christ. It's all for Jesus. There is an age-old controversy that pitches James against Paul. You know, Paul, we're justified by faith alone, and James is saying, well, it's, it works. It's, it's not a controversy. It's really, it's just scholars messing around with the scriptural text. Paul is talking about justification by faith alone, but the faith which justifies is never alone. So the faith which works is it's all about Christ. I died to the law, says the apostle, verse 19, so that I might breathe for God, that I might live for God. And again, just by way of uh, passing and maybe a little application, there's a modern cry in the evangelical church it's almost that, you know, we're not under law, we're under grace. And it's given rise to all kinds of perverse freedoms. And it's almost as if I can get as close to the fire without being burned. Well, let me just stay here a little close to these rather naughty things. But I'm not there. I'm here. The apostle would tell us to run from these things. The life that I live is to God. I died to the law so that I might live to God. However that plays out, I don't want it to be legalism. But I don't want it to be libertarianism. John Stott says, he gives us new desires for holiness, for God, for heaven. This is my life. This is my future. 
Don't I want to get, get near as, as near as I can to this, not that? Living to His glory, living according to His will. You know, we, we have a, a controversy at present within our denomination. And some are identifying themselves as non-practicing homosexuals. I married the wife of my youth. I delight in the wife of my youth. I've been married 37 years. I'm not saying it's perfect, and we've had our tiffs, and we've had our turmoils throughout 37 years, but she is my wife. I am not identifying myself as a non-practicing adulterer. You know, I'm, people will identify, I'm a non-practicing homosexual Christian. I don't identify myself as a non-practicing bank robber. We have so sexualized Christianity. We have so carnalized Christianity. My faith has an object. It's the Son of the living God who loved me from all eternity and who gave himself for me. And I'm playing around here with the fire. I am a Christian. No, I'm not perfect. I stumble and bumble my way through this life. And I let him down and I grieve the Spirit of God. But I am a Christian. The old man is crucified. The new has come. I don't need to call myself by any of that stuff anymore. I have a resurrected life. And Scripture will tell me not a hint of any impurity. Have nothing to do with the worthless deeds of darkness. Come out from among them. Flee youthful lusts. We need, my friends, we need the preeminence of Christ in our churches and in our lives so that we can say, I am a bond slave to Jesus. I live the life I now live in the flesh. I live to God. I don't deny grace in this. He's saying that. In fact, I magnify grace in this. Because it's, it's, it's God working in me. The faith which works is that living, vital communion with God, our Maker, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Do you know this? Do you know this? Do you enjoy this? Have you been apprehended by this? Has, has gospel grace gripped you and thrilled you so that you can say, my life has gone from B minor to Christ major? To me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. What gospel are we giving to this lost world? What gospel are we bringing our Jewish friends? Well, there is no other gospel. Not of works. It's all about faith. And even, really, it's all about Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the gospel of God. Thank you that in your grace and mercy, the Jewish people, the Jewish believers of the first century brought this message to foreign shores, 
And thank you that in your providence, in our time, we heard the good news. So may we live it, so may we tell it, so may we live to the glory of God. Hear us and help us in every aspect of our ministry lives, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you. 